Life is full of surprises. Life is full of interruptions. This poor BBC uh, reporter from a few years ago, this, this went viral. Uh, shortly after that, he was doing this, this interview. And a few things that I just want to point out and have fun uh, here first. First of all, did you notice how frantic the wife is as she's staying low, trying to get these kids out, as if half the world isn't watching already on this, ne- this, this worldwide broadcast as well. I feel for her uh, in that. And then parents, did you notice the multiple stiff arms uh, from, from the dad, right? Three or four times after that, you just kind of realized, oh, I'm giving up. And then there comes the big parent sigh of I'm just giving up as well. And maybe when it comes to interruptions, that is your response to in life. When something hits you, when there's something that surprises you that you weren't expecting, your normal or natural response is, oh, and you have to just sit there and grin and bear it and wade through it. Just a show of hands this morning. I'm not expecting a huge response here. How many of you just love to be interrupted? Anybody just love interruptions? Okay. I'm guessing you, you, you might not be telling the truth if you're, if you're doing that, but none of us love to be interrupted, whether that's as we're speaking, whether that's as a parent, whether that's getting cut off uh, on the freeway, whatever it is, we don't like to be interrupted. But how we handle the interruptions that come in our lives largely determine our path. My wife and I took our two kids, uh, young kids, just a couple summers ago now, we were driving up to Minnesota, and as we always do when we, when we go on a long trip uh, in our, uh, our van that we're rocking with the, the car seats in the back, as we look forward to some windshield time, because the kids can get occupied with games or coloring or something in the back, and we can have some nice, quiet, calm adult time. So we got about a three-hour trip up to where we're going. It's like, this is going to be great. We're going to get a lot of peace and quiet and conversation. I kid you not, five minutes into a three-hour car ride, all, this, all we hear for the next three hours, mommy, mommy, daddy, mommy, 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 daddy, 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 mommy. We literally started laughing out loud, and I got out a notebook to count how many interruptions on a three-hour car ride? Do you want to take a guess? 141, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. Parents, can I get an amen? Okay, there, there was maybe some stiff arms thrown just like the reporter here as well. Don't get me wrong, we love our kids, but life is full of interruptions. 141, if you want to look at it as we're going along in the road of life, 141 interruptions into that timeline. 141 X marks the spots moments and what was supposed to be a calm ride. Whether you realize that or not, interruptions have largely shaped you in your life for better or worse. Some of you, maybe they're very, very painful. Some of you, maybe they're very, very happy. I mean, you think about all the way back to the beginning of your life. You, you go to school and you meet your first true friend, but then you experience your first heartbreak. Maybe that moment, that defining moment in your story when you met your future spouse that maybe you're sitting next to right now and you didn't even know it at the time, but that was a welcomed interruption. Maybe you or somebody that you love gets a terrible diagnosis or a loved one unexpectedly passes away, you lose your job, or maybe that happy, exciting moment when you're sitting there doing work and you realize this is what I was created for. I'm so passionate about this. I remember that moment in my life, some of you are saying. For many of you, your story of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, there was an X marks the spot moment. For some of you, maybe it was more of a crockpot experience, kind of a slow simmer in how you put your faith in Jesus. For others of you, it was more of a microwave experience. And you remember that defining moment. It was an interruption in your life. If you think about it, this year, 2020, has been one giant 
X in our stories, or maybe if you think about it differently, a bunch of interruptions in our lives. Some have been painful, some have been joyful, but maybe a better question to ask in our lives is, God, why? Why did you let that happen? Why are you doing that is to ask the what questions. God, what are you trying to teach me in that interruption? What if, we, what, if what we saw as interruptions and inconveniences in our lives are actually moments where God's kingdom is breaking through and we weren't even aware of it? We weren't even aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it, God's word says. What have been some of those moments in your life? What if we saw interruptions as transformative opportunities in our lives? And nobody knows that when it comes to interruptions better than the Samaritan man in our story today. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, your Bible app, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10 or scroll or click or however you get there. If you don't have your physical Bible, I know you've got your phone, would encourage you to download the Version Bible app and you've always got God's with you, word with you wherever you go. So Luke chapter 10, we are continuing a series that we launched last week at all of our campuses called Once Upon at a time. And no, it's not just about fairy tale kid stories. These are some of the greatest stories ever told by Jesus himself. Jesus loved stories and he wanted to connect with us in that way. And so Jesus tells lots of parables. Everybody say parables. Jesus tells parables, which are stories, simple stories that have a deeper kingdom meaning. It's not just about what the story is. Jesus is pointing us to something Deeper And chances are, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, you're like, where, where in the world is Luke? Okay, it's in the, the about, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life. If you've got your app, it's even easier uh, to find as well. You don't even need a table of contents. But if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with church in general, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We want to be a church for people that don't really like church. And we're so glad that you're here. But chances are, even if you haven't been church in a long time, you know, you've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. What you may not know is what led up to that X marks the spot moment for the Samaritan man that day. So to do that, we got to go get some context in the story, which is important to do, and start at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law, so kind of a priest-lawyer combination sort of guy, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He's like, I'm going to trap this guy. I'm going to catch Jesus. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? Have you read it? Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're like, Jesus, just answer the question already, right? You ever notice that in the Gospels? Jesus always answers the question with another question. Why? Because he knows it's going to be more transformative when you discover it for yourself. Jesus is always asking a deeper question. So what do you say, Jesus says? The man answered, and let's read this nice and loud together on the next screen. It's up there. It's down here. The man answered. Let's read it nice and loud together. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say and. And. And that is a big and. Meaning it is impossible to say that I love God with every ounce of my being and not have compassion and love for my neighbor, for those around me. 
There was never meant to be a separation between knowing about God intellectually in our head and letting him all the way into our hearts and then living it out with our hands. Faith is called to move from our head to our heart to our hands. Surely all three of those are important components. We don't want you to check your brain at the door. We want it to sink down deep into your soul, into who you are, but we're also called to live it out as well, from our head to our heart to our hands. So a little audience participation here this morning to make sure you're awake. You're the second service, people. You've had your coffee already. So let's go. Get your hands out, everybody. God wants our faith to move, say it with me, from our head to our hearts to our hands. One more time, from our head to our hearts, to our hands. And then you do the Macarena, the rest of it, or whatever, like that, okay? Our head to our heart to our hands. I wonder, how's your relationship with God these days? Is it just sort of an intellectual pursuit that you agree with some facts and some ideas about God? Or has it gripped you to the point where it naturally overflows? Instead, watch how this religious expert, that's the humor of the story, this religious expert, who's completely missing the point, responds in verse 29 to Jesus. But he wanted to justify himself. So you already know his heart's not pure. You already know his heart's not in the right place. And so we asked Jesus, and I wish, I wish the Bible could come to life sometimes and we could hear what the tone of the conversation actually was, because this is snarky all over. And he looks at Jesus and says, and who is my neighbor? A little bit of sass, a little bit of sarcasm there, okay? Instead of being convicted, instead of realizing, you know what, I probably don't love everybody the way that I should, he goes into defense mode. This is like my kids when they get sassy or rude or talk back. Define neighbor, okay? Adventures in missing the point, but by asking it, he's already missed it. For the religious expert, faith is stuck up here, and this guy has what we can get as Christians sometimes, paralysis by analysis. We're really good at talking a good game. And I love fellow pastors, I love fellow believers, but one of the dangers sometimes as believers is that we get really good about talking about loving our neighbor. We get really good about having good clippings and good scripture and good mottos and things posted on our Facebook or Instagram pages. We're really good at talking a good game. Jesus says, I want to know, does your walk follow your talk? Is it real for you? Has it moved from your head to your heart to your hands? In order to do that, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. We're not going to get into a theological debate. I'm going to cut right to your heart, and I want to tell you a story. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Everybody say, pass by. Pass by. There was an opportunity. There was a God-sized moment here, and they passed by. How many times in your life have you been going down your day, your month, your year, your life, and in that moment right in front of you, you passed it by. You missed the opportunity that we see from the priest and the Levite here in the story. It's important to know that this was a road that priests, that Levites would travel on a regular basis going back and forth between their temple duties in Jerusalem, you know, doing the important work of faith. Ironically, one of the main roles of the Levites was to give alms to the poor. You know, 
have compassion on people. And yet in that moment, he passes by because it's easier to avoid the interruption. Now, before we get all judgmental and prejudiced and say, oh, I, I see myself in the story as the Samaritan. I, I know what's coming, John. Let's not be so quick to skip ahead and, and just judge, you know, the priest and the Levite here. We're not immune to this either. We live busy lives. We hate interruptions. We're going along and it's the annoying person at work. It's the, the kids that test our patience. Deeper than that, what about the brokenness and the pain and the violence and the people that are hurting right now across the street that live in the homes and the neighborhoods around us in our city? The interesting thing about human relationships is that we spend so much time avoiding pain at all costs. If it doesn't make me happy, if it doesn't make me feel good as a Christian, I want to avoid it at all costs. Because Jesus' number one goal for me to be, is to be happy. The problem is that's not in the Bible. I don't see it anywhere. And there's so many moments that we avoid and pass by and it's, we don't enter into the pain of others. And why do we do that? Because I think we're afraid that when we enter into the pain of others, it's going to reveal the pain in our own hearts. And the biases and the prejudices and the fear that we have, it's usually so we don't have to address our own pain. If we're honest, the two common responses that I see in these moments, these opportunities for kingdom breakthrough, there's a couple different things that we do. And the first one is what we see in the story. Instead of engaging that X marks the spark moment, the first one is that we avoid it. It's either just, I, I, I don't see it, I want, I want to shut down the news, I want to shut down my, my feed, I don't want to know anything that's going on in the world anymore, I'm just going to avoid it. And then I won't have to deal with it as much, so what we see in the story. But just as dangerous on the other side of that, the other response, and maybe this is true for you in the year 2020, is we just grow numb to it. I felt, and I've, I've, I've I felt so much pain and I'm so tired of the hatred and the violence and the divisiveness I'm going to shut down my heart so then maybe I won't have to feel that anymore neither of those are biblical responses instead what we see is there's always a third way with Jesus there's always a third way and it's what we see next in the story it's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus in those moments of pain and hurt is to engage and so we go back to the story in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, and he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. I would imagine that in that moment of decision, as the priest was walking by, he probably had a, well, I am a religious guy. What if people hear that I didn't engage? I probably should, but my biggest fear and my biggest concern is what's going to happen to me? What are people going to say about me? What if people put it on social media that I stopped and engaged with this person? What is it going to, what, what political party am I going to get associated with? What is it going to mean? Elaborated on that a little bit. Same thing with the Levite. Levite's walking by. You know, I probably should. I am a, I'm a Levite. I'm on my way to the temple, actually, to hand out scraps to the poor. I'm a little busy today. If, if I, I might get blood on me, it might be messy, it might be difficult, I, I, I don't know how long it's going to be such an inconvenience. What's, what, what could happen to me if I engage? And they miss the point. 
And then you have the Samaritan that in this moment he saw the pain and what races through his veins. If I don't help this man, what will happen to him? And the difference of postures of the heart is at the heartbeat of Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. Followers of Jesus. One of the definitive marks of somebody that's following Jesus is radical compassion. That when we experience things in our nation, in our world, in our city, in our neighborhoods, under our own roof, our first response is not defensiveness and excuses. Our first response should be that our hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for. It is not a partisan thing to have compassion. It's what we do as followers of Jesus. Having empathy and compassion for others is a human response and certainly a Christian response. And we do that and we have done that as a church for those that have been the victim of racism or prejudice or hatred. And And that doesn't matter if it's a minority group. It doesn't matter if it's law enforcement, which we have many of in our church community. And we pray for them and we support them and we host funerals of those officers that have died the past several years, those that have put their lives on the line. Love is not partisan. It's a human, it's a Christian response. If you think that this story is old-fashioned for the times that we live, (laughs) Jews and Samaritans could not stand each other. It was poison. Jews labeled Samaritans unclean. Don't go near them. Don't touch them. Certainly, they could not be the hero of one of Jesus' story. And so as much as we want to think that this is a nice, cute parable about be nice to other people and help other people, Jesus is sticking it to the religious establishment. Jesus has some of his harshest words for those people that talk a good game but never live it out, that it's not real, that it hasn't gripped their heart. Maybe faith is not about how many Bible studies that you've attended or how long you've been coming to worship. Jesus says, I'm looking for people that faith is not just a mental exercise, but it's sunk into the core of their being and it flows out of them. And here's the good news. You're doing this in so many ways. You're an incredible church because 2020 has been one definitive X marks the spot moment for us as a church as well. We've had so many moments over the last seven months where we've had this choice of whether we're going to pass by, we're going to steer clear, and we're going to say, oh, church isn't what it used to be. It's so difficult. It's not what it was, and we can engage or we can shrink back. And we can't worship in person because of the pandemic, and so we find new ways of being the church online. We reach thousands of more people, get connected with Jesus, all because we refuse to pass by. We find new ways of being the church. Those of you in small groups have met, there's people sitting out here that come sometimes on a weekend and they're sitting in lawn chairs in the parking lot or in a, in a park or wherever they are. They're not passing by, they're engaging the moment. Natural, a hurricane hits Iowa. Oh, this has never happened before. What do we do? Let's just pass by. It'll be easier. I'm just going to take care of my own yard. Instead, dozens of you, hundreds of hopesters go out into the community with chainsaws, with food, with love and care and concern and help those in need. This past week, three full semi-trucks of of, uh, household goods and furniture left for the people of Cedar Rapids that are still dealing with the the devastating uh, derecho that came through as well. Praise God that we're not a church that sits on the sideline that doesn't just pass 
by, when there's families that are hungry, when there's, they can't feed their kids as the economy spirals down, right in our school district, right here in our neighborhood. This past Saturday, we started our mobile food pantry. And this Thursday, people will come through for the first time right out here in our parking lot. This is about half of the Drake women's basketball team. So now, yeah, I'm a Hawkeye fan, but I'm really starting to become a Bulldogs fan as well. These gals are awesome. They did, they did an incredible job, and the rest of our volunteers and teams there as well. We don't pass by, we engage the moment. And yet there's one reality in our lives, there's one glaring big X in our stories that is certainly nothing new. This moment has been here for centuries, and yet it's certainly escalated over the last several months, and that's the racial divides and tensions in our nation and in our city. This is nothing new, but I believe that 2020 is a Jericho Road moment for us as a church. Are we going to step forward? Is, is the church going to lead the way? Or are we going to sit on the sidelines? Is the church going to lead the way? Or are we going to speak out only when it's popular to do so? Or are we going to engage as a church? And I'm thankful that, that we're a part of a church, that, that you're the kind of church that has been on the front lines of this, of unity and reconciliation for, for decades. Hope has been at the, the forefront of this movement. And yet in the last year, as... God would have it. By no coincidence, we feel like several roads are emerging and, and have come, and they're all leading to this moment. We have the opportunity, and as of last February, to purchase this, this facility, this incredible 66,000-square-foot 6, facility. And we know that God did not bless us this with to keep it to ourselves. Whenever God gives you something, whenever God blesses you with something, it's not just for you. You give it away. It's the heartbeat of what it means to follow Jesus. You give it away. There's already several nonprofits, faith-based organizations that are officing here. They're doing ministry out of here and several more that we'll be talking to in the coming weeks. Joshua Christian Academy on the fourth floor. It's not for us. And we knew that there was a bigger mission for us here. At the same time, the other road that's converging is our friends at Elam Christian Fellowship have been doing this for decades as well. And in a lot of ways, more effectively and more passionately than we have as well. And so Pastor Hurst and our friends at Elam downtown have been living out this vision as well and doing the exact same thing. Meanwhile, tensions continue to rise, fires burn, and the pain and the heartache of our city cannot be ignored anymore. And these roads are converging together. Our city is crying out for hope, not a church, for Jesus for real hope, for unity, for the church to lead the way. And we're standing after months and months of prayer and planning. We're standing, not literally, uh, here together with Elam. Pastor Hurst is preaching for Elam. They're the online services this morning. But we are standing as a unified church with Elam here together in this X marks the spot moment to say we're going to stop talking about it and we're going to do something. We're going to step into that moment. So we have a very very exciting announcement for you this morning. And for that, turn your eyes to the video screen. Well, hello, everybody. I am blessed to be standing here on the stage with Pastor Mike Householder, Pastor Michael Hurst, and we have some exciting news to share with you today. I'm going to ask these guys a little bit about what brought us to this moment, this Jericho Road moment. And I also want Pastor Mike and Pastor Michael to share what has been uh, the last decade or so that has brought us to this moment. I know there's, this is much more than just uh, the last year and the ways we've been envisioning 
this partnership together, but I would love for you guys to share about your relationship and the long relationship between Hope and Elam over the last several years. Yeah, thanks, Pastor John. There's a, there's a lot of friendships uh, amongst pastors uh, between churches uh, that exist. You know, we share a lot in common. Uh, we have some of the same challenges and struggles and, and joys to celebrate together. So we kind of speak uh, a similar language. But then there are those real unique and special friendships that develop uh, amongst colleagues, and that's certainly the case uh, with Pastor Michael Hurst and myself. We have we have uh, known each other for a long, long time. And so the, the friendship that God has blessed us with is something that, that goes beyond um, just something for the sake of practical ministry, although that's certainly part of it. Um, we met, how long ago was it, Michael? Wow, I think 94, That's about right, yep. 94, 95. And Pastor Michael, this, this vision of uh, being in relationship with other churches, this has been a part of the vision for Elam for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, one of uh, somebody that I allied is Dr. Martin Luther King. And one thing that he always talked about was the beloved community of black people and white people and brown people coming together. And as I studied that, God was amazing. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, which is 95% black. But he sent me to Des Moines, Iowa, which is 95% white. And I think he sent me here to forge a relationship with Pastor Householder to do inner city ministry and to turn Des Moines upside down. That's right, so that was always part of the vision that God had given to us. We just didn't know exactly how that would work out. And so we've done mission work together, uh, we've prayed together, we've done men's ministry events together. All of those have been great. Uh, we've, we did one church, uh, that ministry together in, in a real critical time, I think, for, for people in our community and our nation. Uh, it's important that we follow the biblical lead that we understand that even when we would maybe prefer or default to just, just kind of staying apart, that God calls us to be together. God calls us to be one. And that just hits us over and over again. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we want to be a church after God's own heart. And we've always felt that, but we never wanted to get ahead of God. We, we didn't want to say, okay, God, here's what we're doing, so come and bless it. Instead, Pastor John, we... We were just waiting and praying and saying, God, what's next? What's the next wave you want to produce that you right. want us to ride together? And that's really where we pick up the story here is in the last year, specifically the Hope Des Moines campus and Elam Christian Fellowship have been building on this longstanding relationship. And with everything going on in our nation and world, we felt like God was leading us to this moment. A, a divided world is hungry for a unified church to be an example of how Jesus breaks down those walls between us. And so as Pastor Hurst and I have been meeting and talking and with all of our leaders here at Hope, we, after a lot of prayer and planning and dreaming together, we're excited that it's no longer just Hope Des Moines and, and Elam Christian Fellowship. <laughs> it's not just Elam, but together we're excited to announce the merger of Hope, Hope Elam. Elam. Yeah. We're so excited about that and to share with you more about this in the weeks and the months to come. But it's not just the past that we're talking about today. It's what's currently going on in mission here at our new location at 25th and University, as well as what the, the outreach we're excited to do in the future and that's already happening here at the facility. Yes, and it's happening right upstairs on the fourth floor at Joshua Christian Academy West. Uh, it's an extension of Joshua Christian Academy East and it's here. And I'm so very, very excited because education 
is the key, and a mind is a terrible thing to waste. So I'm so very, very excited about the school on the fourth floor, Joshua Christian Academy, but equally excited that Drake University is right across the street so we can continue to minister to them down through the years. Absolutely. So in addition to shared worship together uh, as Hope Elam together and all of our ministries that we're joining together, we're just excited to see what God does in the years ahead as we continue to reach out to the neighborhoods around us and come alongside the other awesome churches and ministries and organizations that are in this area. We really believe that the church is called to be a center of mission, and we're excited to do that together now with Elam to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. This is a big deal, and we're so excited about it. And Mike, I know this is something that, that Hope and Elam have been dreaming about for years, but fits right in specifically with our 10 for 10 vision uh, that we laid out last fall as well. Yeah, we, we want to be a church that uh, pushes forward God's call to unity. Uh, it's important that in a world that's so divided, as you guys have been talking about um, here just now, that in a world that's so divided over so many things that the church would lead as uniters, that we would be the blessed peacemakers that Jesus talks about, that we would seek to be faithful to God's call in everything we do. And so we really don't get to vote on these kinds of things. We, we follow the one who has already said, this is what it's going to be. This, this is what it's going to be like for my followers. You are going to be united in Jesus Christ because the things that unite us are certainly more powerful than the things that would divide us. And we want to be leaders in that. We don't want to just talk the talk about this. We actually want to walk the walk. And so it's no longer just Hope Des Moines or Elam Christian Fellowship. It's Hope Elam in Des Moines. And I couldn't be more excited. It is, it is Michael, is it not the vision becoming realized that God has put before us for so long? Yes, when faith becomes sight. Yeah, amen. Well, I, I want everybody to know I'm just honored to be here with these pastors and brothers in Christ, and we're excited to share with you more in the weeks and months to come about this exciting unification, this merger together of Hope and Elam. We give God praise for what he's doing in this place and in our city. So exciting. I think it looks pretty good, don't you think? Kind of feels like it was meant to be that way. And I want to say this, I'm so grateful to share ministry and to be colleagues with these men, these brothers, uh, but particularly for Michael today, we wanted to be together with each other, but this is an important day for us to be with our, our individual congregations as he's sharing this with the Elam folks today as well. Um, the bonus of our friendship is that we get to do ministry together, but that's just the bonus. That's just the icing on top. We were meeting with our church council the other night and they asked us about our relationship with each other. Like, you guys getting along okay? Is everything okay? And I, I could genuinely say, Michael is one of those friends that I would call late at night if I needed something. Not an acquaintance, but you know you have some people in your life that are real friends. Ministry is born out of relationships. And I could go on and on about all the details of the merger and, and all of that, and we've got more coming, but I want you to hear loud and clear what I am so proud of and what I'm so thankful for is both churches over this last year putting down the walls, breaking down the barriers, and forming real, genuine relationships. I see you when you see each other, when you connect. It's like old friends coming together. Even during a pandemic, you've done this in an incredible way. 
But I know there's a lot of questions, and some of you might be wondering, and I want you to be able to, to go home today and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, why are we doing this? What, what's what's the, the true vision behind this? You can write it on a napkin. You can remember it in your mind. Three things. Number one, it's biblical. Number two, it's missional. And number three, it's practical. First of all, it's biblical. God's heart for unity across any divide is very clear all throughout Scripture. God's call again and again and again and the old repeated in the New Testament through Jesus himself is that we would be one. Everybody say one. Oh, say it like you mean it. One. God's call is that we would be one. And that comes to completion in Jesus' work on the cross. There's a reason that at the heart of that logo is a, a cool plus sign, but it's a cross. Make no mistake. It's important to remember that salvation, that the gospel, yes, while it is your ticket to heaven and we rejoice in, in, in the promise of eternal life that we have, we forget so much of the power and the implications of the gospel if we don't realize the implications it has for right now, here and today with the brothers and sisters around us. The gospel, at the heartbeat of the gospel, not as a side project to the gospel, but at the heartbeat of the gospel is that Jesus is forming a new family across any divide and barrier that is one in Christ, that is united in the center by Jesus. When nothing else will do, Jesus brings us together, black, white, brown, male, female, left wing, right wing, anywhere in between, city, suburb, rich, poor, hawks, clones, bulldogs, I mean, we can even exist in the same church in this building. The work of reconciliation is not a partisan agenda. It is the heartbeat of the gospel. I love this quote from a fellow pastor out in New York City. His name's Rich Velotas. He says this, the cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. Yes, it certainly is, and we give God praise for that. It's also a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. That's why the cross is at the center of hope and Elam. It's biblical. Secondly, it's missional. We truly believe that working together as churches will be able to more effectively reach out to a diverse and growing city around us. And I just want to make something really, really clear as we embark on this journey that diversity does not automatically equal reconciliation. Being together is not the same as coming together. Diversity is a really good thing. But what matters is what's taking place in here as we interact with each other, what's taking place in our hearts as we lay down our biases and our agendas, and our prejudices, and we do the hard work, get this, of listening to each other, of showing empathy and compassion, the work of the Samaritan that day. It's biblical, it's missional, and finally, it's practical. We really like being together. Every time over the last year that Hope Des Moines and Elam have gotten together, it's a big old Jesus party, and there ain't no party like a Jesus party because a Jesus party don't stop, amen? It is so much fun. And not only that, but we're better together. Let's say that together. We're better together. We truly are. This isn't hope helping Elam or Elam. Help. It's both. We can't do it without them. They can't do it without us. We need each other. There are things that they're way more effective at than we are. There's things that we're more effective at than they are. We're truly better together in our differences, not despite our differences, but in our differences. We see color. We see diversity. And because of that, we're better together. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, 
what does that mean? Is Elam here? No, they're not here today. We're, we're on these parallel tracks. Elam's going to be transitioning here very soon, but they have their own facility, just as we had our own facility on Ingersoll that has its own timeline and trajectory. We're going to make an announcement soon about when they're coming, and we'll have shared joint worship together. Shared ministry is already happening together in the, the Be the Bridge classes and, and Alpha and other groups we're doing together. We're already serving together with our food pantry, as you've seen. Things are already coming together. Our ministry leaders are going to be meeting together over the next few Saturdays to plan out joint ministry together. And rather than walk you through all the details, I want to make sure to point you. It'll go live this afternoon on the, the Hope Elam page. There's a video there. There's a, a Frequently Asked Questions document. We encourage you to check that out to ask questions. This Wednesday on Facebook Live at 8 o'clock in our normal after-hours slot, Michael and I will be doing a live Q&A on Facebook, and so we encourage you to tune in for that. Or if other people have questions or they weren't able to make it today, jump on. We, we love your questions, and we want to be as transparent as possible with you. I can't tell you how many times in the last few months people have asked me questions about the merger, and I've said, I don't know. I've never done this before. Have you? <laughs> We're learning together. We're going to be honest. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be real with you every step of the way. I've never been more convinced that this is something that God has led us to. This is one of those moments in my life and our lives as a church. And I think about our kids. I think about my two kids that are watching and listening. The other day, or yesterday, I was out in the backyard with our seven-year-old Caleb and I was, you know, get, doing some sermon research with him. And I asked him, I said, Caleb, so do you know, you remember Pastor Michael, right? Oh, yeah, you know, he's got funny jokes. Um, well, he's going to bring his church, the Elam church, and they're going to come and we're going to bring our two churches together. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a pretty good idea? And he's a really deep thinker. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, we should do that. I said, well, Why? Why do you think that God wants us to do that? And without it, without flinching, and I'm so proud of him in this moment, he said, because it, it shouldn't matter in church, it shouldn't matter if somebody's skin is a different color than yours or if they're different than you, we should all be able to be the church together. So I think we should do it. And I said, okay, well, I'll announce it tomorrow then. Agreed upon. Great. And I think 10, 25, 50 years from now, my kids and my grandkids, your kids and your grandkids of our church, I want them to know beyond the shadow of a doubt where their dad stood. I want them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt where this community of Jesus followers stood in this moment, in 2020, when things were boiling over and everybody was too afraid to take a stand because it might be partisan this way or that way. It's what it means to follow Jesus, and we don't apologize for that. And I want them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who I was and who we were and who you are as a church. This is what it means to follow Jesus. That in 2020, there was two churches that although extremely different, and Michael and I are extremely different in so many ways, and the color of our skin is just not, it's not even the top of my list. We're so different that even in the middle of all that, 
We willingly chose together, not because some agenda, not for publicity, not, not for how it looks, not for finances, not for any of that, but because out of the, the purity of heart as much as we can, we love each other and we're better together. This is a Jericho Road moment, Lutheran Church of Hope. Let's not pass it by. Let our faith move from our head to our hearts to our hands. Let's do it together. Get your hands out from our head to our hearts to our hands. No, you're not getting into it as much. You got to stand up. We got to do it together. You're going to remember this. God is calling us in this Jericho Road moment that our faith would move from what? Our heads to our hearts to our hands. One more time. From our head to our hearts to our hands. The love of God has been poured into our hearts because God so loved the world. Amen? Let's sing about it. Let's worship together.